0: Please open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 10. It is a most intimidating prospect to try to convey to you the glory of an unspeakable gift. If it's an unspeakable gift, then it's rather difficult to speak about it, Amen. but this is what God has called me to do. So I'll speak about it. I want you to love the Lord Jesus Christ as was just prayed. Amen. I want us this day to love him and to love one another, to come to his table and to be so thankful for that memorial <laughs> feast that causes us to remember what he did for us. Yes. Amen. And I want to talk about that book that is in the hand of him that sits on the throne that only one was, able, was worthy and able to open. And that's the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless us today to lift him up in all that is said and done. I am so discouraged and frightened for my soul and for yours that we find so many things to fret and worry and get irritated and depressed about. We become unhappy and discouraged over the smallest things because they're just not the way we wanted them. We wish our lives were better by the most pitiful of standards. We're so consumed by our thoughts and plans and fears for things that the Bible has already told us, and we who are older already know, are but vanity and vexation of spirit, and yet we're constantly perplexed, frustrated, discouraged, and worried about obtaining those things that are only vanity and vexation of spirit. We are so distracted, is what I'm trying to say, in our Christian lives by this course of events that we call life, of family and job and house and home and yard and health and body and clothing and eating and drinking. We are so wrapped up in these foolish things that we forget our great blessings that are in Christ Jesus our Lord. The most powerful force in human existence is the absolute confidence of eternal life. Amen. Faith That God has eternal life waiting for us is a powerful force by faith by which we are able to overcome this world and to live a victorious life so that the things of this life do not distract nor discourage nor defeat us because we know that we have eternal life waiting for us. As I have already told you this morning, our memory verses for this week as a church are Galatians 6.14 and 1 Corinthians 2.2 both of which tell us that the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be the most important thing in our lives, the most important theme in our church, and the most exciting aspect of the Word of God for us to glory in. That's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 10, our Lord Jesus, after having sent out His twelve, sent seventy others. We read about it in the first verse. After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. And so those seventy went out two by two. He told them how to go, what to take, what not to take, how they were to speak and what they were to speak about, what miracles they were to perform. And if a city received them, how they were to bless that city. If a city did not receive them, how they were to curse that city. And so we have those instructions for us as we come down through the 16th verse. In verse 17, we have these 70 returning to our Lord. Luke ten seventeen, And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Now that would be exciting, wouldn't it? They returned with joy. And you can tell by the wording of this expression of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord Jesus Christ that they were glad for the power he had given them to go out and preach the gospel of his kingdom. And the devils were subject to them. They were able to heal the sick. They were able to deliver people from the spirits of infirmity. And they were able to cast out devils. And they said, Lord, even the devils are subject Unto us through thy name. Jesus then gives a little commentary about the devil and his angels when he said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. That is a past tense beholding of Satan when he fell from heaven in the beginning when he sinned against the Most High God. The Lord Jesus Christ in his divine nature was there to witness that rejection of Satan and being cast out of heaven. Cast out of heaven is a place where he would stay perpetually and where he would serve the Lord God. He was cast out, and the Lord Jesus in his divine nature beheld that. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And then he says this to these 70, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Here we have the Lord Jesus Christ giving these 70 sufficient power and authority that they would be able to handle serpents. Acts 27, for a literal serpent. Serpents and scorpions figuratively, devils and demons, and over all the power of the enemy, both men, beasts, and devils. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. You say, but didn't the apostles die? And this is a short Rabbit, Yes, the apostles died, but nothing ever hurt them because death was a blessing to an apostle with understanding as it should be to you because it's what we get to do. It's what we get to do to get rid of these vile bodies. Because we shall never die. Believest thou this? Nothing shall by any means hurt you. There's Jesus Christ's short commentary. But now, brethren, we have 70 excited followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who have been casting out devils, and here's what Jesus has to say to their enthusiasm. Verse 20. Notwithstanding, in spite of your joy, in addition, or more importantly, than what you are excited about, notwithstanding, in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Your names are written in heaven. Rejoice. When the Bible tells us to rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. What is the basis for that rejoicing? Rejoicing. Your names are written in heaven. Rejoice evermore. What in the world can ever compete with our names being written in heaven? A trip home from work that took an extra two minutes because of traffic or lights? Because you missed a promotion? Because you have eczema? What can compete with your names being written in heaven? I ask you this day, we lose sight of our names being written in heaven, and I don't want that to happen. May the Lord bless us today to see that our names are written in heaven. Immediate, look at what it says going on from that 20th verse. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Jesus Christ took great pleasure in seeing these 70 and the message that he was able to give them. Your names are written in heaven, hid from the wise and prudent of the world and revealed unto babes because it seemed good in the sight of God to save the simple, the base, the ignorant, and the poor. And Jesus Christ was able to tell them your names are written in heaven. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. This is the sovereignty of God in salvation. No one can know the Son or the Father but those to whom they are revealed by sovereign grace. And these disciples came back and called Jesus Christ Lord by the grace of God. Verse 23, and he turned him unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. How few have heard from the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, your names are written in heaven. Brethren, there's nothing that we should rejoice in, but that our names are written in heaven. And if you are dull this morning and you are not listening to this message, then you have a problem because the problem isn't with the message because it is an unspeakable gift. You have dulled yourself with too many activities and not enough thinking about the things of Christ. You have dulled yourself with too much tiredness and not enough singing. You have not read enough. You have not prayed enough and you went to bed too late last night and you didn't get up this morning and pray. Because you don't care and you're thumbing your nose at the gift that God has given, his unspeakable gift, that your names are written in heaven. If we ever got just a glimpse of that idea, that our names are written in heaven, what else would matter? What else would matter? Right. Your house could be burning down around you. And you could have been caught, but you're being delivered out of the fire on a stretcher. And as you're passing by and the rest of us are looking at you, you speak from the, the stretcher and say, but my name is written in heaven. Amen. Right. My name is written in heaven. Amen. What else matters? May the Lord bless us this morning. Where are their names written in heaven? Where are their names written in heaven? Luke 10, 20 tells us that we ought to rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Where are they written in heaven? Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Brethren, in a certain respect, we are members of a secret society. Do you understand me? Amen. Are we? Yes. Who has been able to see the membership list of this society? Only the Lord Jesus Christ is able to open the membership list of this society. And brethren, it is a congregation, it is the church of the firstborn, who's, better not get ahead of myself, but it says whose names are written in heaven. We come over to Philippians chapter 4 as Paul is beginning to close out his epistle to the Philippians. Remember, we have studied this in Acts chapter 16, when Paul visited Philippi in Macedonia of Greece. He beseeches his brethren in verse 1, he beseeches Euodius. In verse 2, and he comes to verse 3, and he says, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, his fellow minister that was there at Philippi, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Whose names are in the book of life. Now Jesus spoke to his 70 fellow laborers and said, Your names are written in heaven. Paul comes along, and when blessing and commending some of his fellow laborers, he said, your names are in the book of life. Amen. And so we see that the names written in heaven are in the book of life. Now let's come over to Revelation chapter 20 and see the book of life up close and personal. Revelation chapter 20. If you children will pay attention, you'll be able to understand this morning and this evening's sermon. If you'll just follow with me, some have their names written in heaven. Some have their names in the book of life. And it's a great blessing. And if your name is in the book of life, there's nothing else that matters. Amen. That's right. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. Let me read to you five sober verses. This is what's going to happen at the end of this world, right. which is going to happen soon. Amen. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it They are written in the book of life. And in the great day of judgment, God is going to see if your name is written in the book of life. And if your name is found in the book of life, then you will not be cast into the lake of fire. But if a search is made in the book of life and your name is not there, you will be cast into the lake of fire and you will be tormented with the devil and his angels forever and ever. Amen. But if your name is found in the book of life, God will own you as his own son and take you into heaven forevermore. The dead are going to be judged out of the books according to their works. The apostle Paul considered himself to be in that number by his own statements in Romans chapter 14 and 2 Corinthians. We'll be judged by our works because by our works we are all worthy of everlasting torment. But there'll be a deliverance provided for some because their names will be found in the book of life. And so in spite of our works and our sins, which have been paid for by Jesus Christ because our name is found in the book of life, we'll be able to go into heaven. The most important thing in your existence is the question, is your name in the book of life? Right. Amen. Oh, so many times you've wondered if your name was going to be called out. Can you remember all the times in your life where you were wondering if your name would be called out? Yep. The first day you went to a class, wondering if you had received admission or not, and they, run down, they start down through the alphabetical listing of names, and you wait till they get to your last name, hoping that your name will be read out to see if you are in that class. Yep. Or if you're going to look foolish because you went to a class where you are not registered. Oh, they're picking a team in phys ed class. Or it's a team for high school junior varsity basketball. And 30 young men have gone out for the team. But there's only 12 that are going to be picked for the junior varsity team. And so one day the coach has all 30 boys sitting on the floor. And he pulls out his clipboard and he starts down through 12 names. And you're waiting to see if your name is going to be called. God have mercy upon our wretched souls forever worrying about whether our name's going to be called in such foolish lists. Yep. Soldiers have fought in foreign countries and seen their buddies blown away and faced death on numerous occasions. And then there have been times where there may have been a lottery of some that were going to be allowed to go home early. And so a list of names is read, and those soldiers wait to see if their name might be in that list, for them to go home early as the mop-up operations of a war continue. But what's going to count, brethren, is we're going to stand before God and our works are going to condemn us, but a book is going to be open, which is the book of life, and we'll want our names in that book. And brethren, if our names are in that book, we're going to be delivered from what all of our sins and our works and our actions and our words and our thoughts have deserved. Amen. And we shall see the torment of hell up close and personal because there will be those being cast into it, but we'll be delivered from it because our names are written in the book of life. And therefore, our names being written in the book of life ought to be the greatest of blessings and the most important searches of our lives and the most important pursuits of our lives to see if our name is actually there. May God help us this day to be sure that our names are in the book of life. What is the book called? Well, we've just seen that it's called the book of life, but let's look at it more closely. Turn to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. We want to look at this book carefully. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. This is describing all the enemies of Jesus Christ who are part of the beast empire, which is the kingdom of the man of sin, which is Roman Catholicism, a church gone to seed against the Lord Jesus. Re- Revelation 13, 8, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, that is the beast, whose names are not written in the book. Now we've got the fullest description of the name of this book right here. What's the name of the book? It is the book of life of the lamb slain. The book of life of the lamb slain. Right. And then it says from the foundation of the world we have about six different prepositional phrases right there, but I want us to look at book of life of the lamb slain. It is the book of life. Do you know why it's called the book of life? Because everyone whose name is written in this book receives life forevermore. It is called the book of life because what you will be facing in that great day of judgment is the second death. Not only do the wicked get to die the death that yet awaits us, physical death, but then they die the second death. May God have mercy. The second death. You will be delivered from the second death because your names are found written in the book of life. Because those who are written there will have life. And it's life forevermore. It's called everlasting life. It's called eternal life. It's life without end. It's life without fear. It's life forever. It's no death, nor tears, nor crying, nor pain, nor sickness. It's life forevermore. That's why it is called the book of life. But it's also called the book of life of the Lamb. Now that little expression there tells us who the owner of this book is. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. It is the book of life of the Lamb because He bought the book. He bought the book. And do you know what the price of that book was? Oh, you're not going to get away from me today without knowing the price of that book. That is His own precious blood. Amen that he shed to buy that book. It is the book of the Lamb because it was his work to secure life for all those in it. And his work was to lay down his life so that we might live because of the book of life. So it is called the book of life of the Lamb slain. Because he had to die in order for us to have the everlasting life promised all those whose names are in this book the book of life of the lamb slain let's look further at whose book is it it's the book of life of the lamb it's the lamb's book of life so let's look at revelation chapter 21 revelation chapter 21 whose book is it it's the lamb's book Revelation chapter 21 has a glorious description of the church which is above, the redeemed of God in heaven. You can see in verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Brethren, are you looking forward to everything being new? Amen. Amen. Good. That's good. Well, we, how do we get entrance into this glorious kingdom? We come down to verse 27. And there shall in no wise, Revelation 21, verse 27, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. Have you ever done anything that defiles the everlasting kingdom of Jesus Christ? Yes, you have, and so have I. Nothing shall enter into that kingdom that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination. Have we ever done anything that God would call an abomination? Yes, we have, privately and publicly, corporately and individually, or maketh a lie. Has anyone here ever told a lie? Have you ever lied to your parents? Have you ever lied to a teacher? Have you ever lied to an employer? Have you ever lied? maketh a lie, you will not be allowed into heaven because God hates all liars. Verse 8 of this same chapter tells us that all those that make a lie, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So let me read this verse again so that we all know that we we have no right to heaven. Revelation 21 and verse 27, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's book of life. It is called the Lamb's book of life because we're answering the question, whose book is it? It is the Lamb's book. He owns it. He bought it. It's the Lamb's book of life. I want to tell you this morning about the Lamb of God. Turn to John chapter 1 with me. John chapter 1. Most of you probably have never seen a lamb. And it's a shame so that you cannot visualize in your mind what a lamb looks like. It's a very helpless creature. It's white. It's weak. It's easily frightened. It's soft. It's tender. It's innocent looking. Our sanitized, stainless steel, buy it in the public's meat department in the form of lamb chop society causes us to miss some of the beautiful pictures that are in the word of God. You know, if we had lived in Israel and once a year we had to take a little lamb and cut its throat and let its blood into a bowl and put that blood on the doorposts of our homes with our children, wouldn't that be a good lesson? Yep. Do you think we'd understand a little bit about the song of the Lamb? Amen. There is never any loss in you repeating the story of the Passover to your children right. since we don't do that every year. John chapter 1. John the Baptist was sent. He had such a limited focused ministry and his ministry was to reveal the Lamb of God to the nation of Israel. His ministry was to show who the Messiah was to those that were looking for him. And here we can read in John chapter 1 verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Do you look in Revelation twenty one twenty seven and find in your heart guilt and fear because you know that you've worked at abomination and you know you've told lies and you know that you defile? Amen. But look at what John the Baptist, with his limited perspective of truth, was able to point at Jesus of Nazareth who was walking toward him and said to those around him, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And therefore, it's called the Lamb's book of life because He takes away those sins, brethren. He takes away those sins. It's the Lamb's book of life. Look at verse 36. Verse 35. Again, the next day after, John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And I want you to get that emphasis because look at the exclamation point. John the Baptist's ministry was so narrow. But I'm going to tell you what it was narrowed down to was the most glorious subject of all. That's why Jesus would say there's none greater in the kingdom of heaven than John the Baptist, because look what he got to announce. Can you imagine standing there and having John the Baptist boldly declaring and pointing, that man right there that's walking, behold the Lamb of God, because brethren, if there isn't a lamb, if there isn't the Lamb that's going to come and take that book out of the hand of Him that sits on the throne, we have no hope. Right. But brethren, there's plentiful hope. Amen. There's blessed hope. There's glorious hope. And before this day is over, we're not even going to call it hope. It's sure. Amen. We can call it a foundation. Right. Yep. The Lord knoweth them that are His, and I hope by the grace of God you'll know that you are His. But I want you to see the Lamb of God. It's the Lamb's book of life. And John the Baptist pointed out Jesus, our Savior, while he was walking on this earth, before he had died, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Remember, they had killed so many lambs in the last 2,000 years, and it hadn't done any good. There would have been so much blood shed; it would have drowned the nation of Israel from, from lambs. But it did no good. Because those lambs were carnal lambs, earthly lambs. But the Lamb of God would take away the sin of the world. What a blessing to see the Lamb of God. And this morning, did you notice in the songs, or or is your mind too dull, that we've already sung praise to the Lamb of God. To God and to the Lamb. Jehovah, great I am. The Lamb of God. Turn to Psalm 89. Turn to Psalm 89 with me. I want to tell you how great the Lamb of God is. Psalm 89. Whose book is it? It's the Lamb's book. Where are their names written in heaven? In the book of life. What is the book called? The book of life of the Lamb slain. Psalm 89 and verse 19. Then thou spakest in vision to thy Holy One, and saidst, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. I have found David my servant, and I'm not going to continue reading, although Psalm 89 is one of the most glorious psalms of prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ, because I want to limit your minds to what it says in the 19th verse, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have one that is mighty enough to accomplish what I need accomplished. And that is to come and take that book out of my hand and to open the seals thereof and to pay the purchase price for that book so that all those that are written therein might have everlasting life. I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have chosen one. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ and John the Baptist pointed out his choice as the Lamb of God. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Some of these references are so familiar to you. But brethren, if they're so familiar to you, I ask you before God, how many times in the last week have you thought about your names being written in heaven? How many times in the last week when faced with something discouraging, depressing, irritating, or frustrating, did you, were you able to blow it all away by saying, but my name is written in heaven? I don't think I have to worry about anyone thinking that I'm going to 1 Timothy chapter 2:5 when it's too familiar to you. Nope. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, "For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is the lamb. There is the owner of the book. There is the mighty one upon whom God has laid help and there is the exalted one chosen out of the people, the Lord Jesus Christ." God needs a mediator. We've lied. We've defiled ourselves. We've committed abominations. How shall we ever meet that God when He sits on His throne? Because we need a mediator, and that one mediator is the man, Christ Jesus. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And when is He going to be testified? When His book is opened. And we see the incredible accomplishment of His mediatorial work. Of dying in our place on the cross. He'll be testified in due time. Which in his times he shall show. Who is the blessed and only potentate. King of kings and Lord of lords. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the man Christ Jesus. And John the Baptist is the first one to declare that Jesus of Nazareth at the age of 30 was the Lamb of God. Simeon knew it. But John the Baptist got to declare it. You say, I don't like him being called the Lamb of God. It sounds too effeminate. Mm -hmm. Then come over to the book of Revelation. You say, I like it when you preach about him being the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But when you call him the Lamb of God, I don't get as excited. Let's see if this lamb is worthy of worship. I can't show you all the occurrences of lamb in the book of Revelation. We'd be here without an afternoon relief. It's full. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God. He was a Lamb, like little lambs that were slaughtered by the Israelites, because when he went to the cross, he went without fighting. He went helpless and weak, because he humbled himself to the death of the cross. Isaiah 53 describes it perfectly to us. But I want to tell you that he's he's still a lamb. He's a lamb slain, but he's a different kind of a lamb. I just want to show you a couple occurrences. Revelation chapter 6. Here are the wicked being described under the judgments of God. The seals are being opened in Revelation chapter 6. The lamb is opening the seals and God's judgment are coming out upon the enemies of the church of Jesus Christ. And it says in verse, let's get verse 15, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Why are all these men hiding themselves? Verse 16, And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us, from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, do you respect the Lamb a little bit? It is the wrath of the Lamb, because in that name Lamb, we are given a picture of his mediatorial sacrifice of dying for our sins, but he is yet the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's the wrath of the Lamb that they are so frightened of, they're asking for the mountains and rocks to fall on them. Come over to chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. Speaking again of the enemies of Jesus Christ, that great whore, Babylon the Great, that's described in Revelation 17. Verse 14 says, These shall make war with the Lamb. They're going to make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb shall overcome them. For He is Lord of Lords. And king of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Brethren, they that are with him. He's got an army. He has a church. He has a congregation. Are you with him this morning? Do you love him? He is the Lamb of God. It's the Lamb's book of life. But the Lamb of God is Lord of lords and king of kings. And the wrath of that Lamb is going to put the entire earth in fear when he reveals himself and shows himself to be the blessed and only potentate. Is the book of Revelation chapter 5 the book of life? We need to answer that question. Let's come over to Revelation chapter 5. For those of you listening by tape or watching this video, I would strongly recommend that you hit the pause button and read Revelation chapter 5 carefully and slowly. We have already done that in unison earlier this morning. Revelation chapter 5 is the book that is in the hand of him sitting on the throne with seven seals, the book of life. Yes, it is. I want you to remember that in the book of Revelation, we have signs given to us of things in heaven. And these books are signs. And that's all I'm going to say on that because the imagery that the Lord God gave us is very strong, and I'm not going to undo that. There's a book. In the hand of him sitting on the throne. Let me just say this. I hope all of you know that God has not been seen, nor can be seen, nor has ever been seen, nor ever shall be seen. And he doesn't have hands. But these are signs and imagery given to us for us to get the closest thing that our minds are able to comprehend of what heaven is like. And what it's like to see God. And so we come to Revelation chapter 5, and let's just look at some of the similarities between this book that is in the hand of him sitting on the throne and the book of life. First thing I want you to notice is what I mentioned already to you this morning, but I want you to see it in verse 1. It is a book written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. This scroll was not written on just one side or this book or this volume, but it was also written on the back side and it was tied up with seven seals. It was too full. And brethren, is that not the blessings that we shall get when the, our names are found in the book of life? Amen. of matter so full that it could not be written on the inside, but it had to be written on the outside also? Right. Let me repeat to you a verse again from First Corinthians chapter two and verse seven that says, "I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared." for them that love him. Right. It is far beyond your imagination of what's contained in the blessings of God that have come upon us, that God would love us, that peace has been purchased between God and sinners, that full pardon has been obtained. Do you know how excited criminals are to get a pardon from our president? A pardon from what? From spending a few more days in prison? But how about a pardon from eternal hell? Amen. And he's been reconciled to us. And he loves us as his own. He's adopted us so that we're his children. Right. All of those great blessings are contained in this book. And all of those flow from our names being written in the book of life. So the similarities between these two are very great. When Paul said that it was his privilege to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, he is talking about these things written in this book, inside and outside. They're unsearchable because there's so many of them. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. If it's unspeakable, then it takes many words to be able to describe it. all the blessings of it. I want you to notice that it says that there are seven seals about it. And if we, if you look in chapter 6 and see those seals being loosed, you'll find that they are judgments against the enemies of God's elect. And the book of life is a listing of God's elect. So if seals on the outside of this book our judgments against the enemies of God's elect, then it must be the book of life. You can come over to, let's see, what seal do we want to look at? Let's look at the fifth seal, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord? holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. I want you to notice that the seals are related to the elect of God and those who suffered at the hands of the enemies of God's elect. And the listing of God's elect is in the book of life. I want you to notice who was able to take the book out of the hand of him on the throne. The lamb. A lamb took it and it's called the lamb's book of life. So the book that the lamb is able to take, we may presume, since there is no distinction made to us, that it's the lamb's book of life. It's the book of the everlasting covenant of God, of all the blessings that he has for his elect, including their names, that is in the hand of him on the throne. And it's called the book of life because in it is the promise of everlasting life. And it's called the Lamb's Book of Life because it's the Lamb that owns it and is able to take it from the hand of Him sitting upon the throne. Out of the hand of Him that sat on the throne. What does verse 6 tell us? And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a Lamb. Revelation 5, 6. As it had been slain. As it had been slain a lamb as it had been slain. And isn't that what they sing in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9? Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. And what is it called, the book of life of the lamb? Slain. slain. This is the same book. Amen. John wept that no man could open it. If it's just a book of judgment, why would John weep so badly? Right. Why did John weep? Because all of his blessings and all of his hope... And all of his desire was in that book, and no man could open it. That's why he wept. And where are all of John's blessings? They're in the book of life. And what song breaks forth as soon as this book has the seals loosed? As soon as it's taken into the hands of the Lamb, what song breaks forth but the song of redemption, which is the song of salvation, which is the song that we'll be singing when our names are found in the book of life. It has all to do with salvation and redemption. It includes more than the names. Remember, whenever we read names written in heaven, that doesn't say that that's all that's in the book. This is the everlasting covenant, brethren. It's the terms of God's covenant, all the benefits that he has promised to the elect. Jesus Christ died and put that covenant into force. And so in that book, inside and written on the backside, are all the blessings that come to God's elect and the names, the specific names of all the beneficiaries. Which brings us to a question, what is in this book, which I've just answered in brief? What is in it? Didn't it say, rejoice because your names are written in heaven? Didn't it say in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3, that his fellow laborers, that their names are in the book of life? Brethren, names are there. I want you to look at Isaiah 49 with me. Isaiah 49. And isn't it appropriate that it be found in the book of Isaiah? Isaiah 49. Do you think God knows your name, present Amen. tense? Do you think He knew your name before your mother knew your name? Yeah. Amen. Did He know your name before your grandmother knew your mother's name? Did He know your name before your great grandmother knew your grandmother's name? Amen. Did He know your name before anyone knew the name of Adam and Eve? Amen. Isaiah 49. And you know why I like it found in Isaiah 49. Well, let me me read you the verse first, then I'll tell you. Look what it says about God's people, Zion, His church, His congregation. It says in verse 16, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Your name is in the palm of the hand of God, and it's been engraven there. God puts names there. Names! That's the reason I've given several illustrations about times in our lives where we've waited to hear our name called. It is such a special sound to us because we know our names well. And when someone else calls our name, we know that they've recognized us or that we have some particular status, blessing, gift, or otherwise that we're waiting for. We love to hear our name called. I mean, Dale Carnegie, a fool at best, since I don't read of anything that he ever gave anyone to help them onto heaven, right. said that the sweetest sound in any language is the sound of a person's own name. And wouldn't you all agree? It sounds rather arrogant to even say that and to admit it, but we love to hear our names called. He knows your name, and he's known your name, and he's written your name on his hand. Right. Have you ever seen someone without notepaper, but it is so important that they remember a name? That they write it on their hand. Mm-hmm. They write it on their hand. Your name is engraven in the palm of his hand. You know why I like it found in Isaiah? Because the great king of the Persians, whose name was Cyrus, was named by God 150 years before he was king of the Persians. Right. And Daniel got to take to him Isaiah chapter 44 and 45. O king, this is what my people believe about their God that you were to be his servant and to rebuild his city in Jerusalem. And Cyrus made a decree that Jerusalem would be rebuilt. I like the fact that it's in the book of Isaiah that names were given before the people were ever born. And brethren, before we were ever born, our names were written in his hands, our names. He knew us personally and individually. That's why the book of life is so personal. He knows us personally. And he has saved us personally. He has known us and loved us with an everlasting love. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 tells us, For whom he did foreknow. For whom he did foreknow. It doesn't say for what he did foreknow. It says for whom he did foreknow. He knew us before the foundation of the world. And brethren, many in that day are going to be calling on his name. Their names are not going to be found in the book of life. And they're going to be saying, Lord, don't you remember me? And he's going to say, I never knew you depart from me, ye that work iniquity. He knows you what's in the book names, names, brethren, your name and my name. What are we supposed to be rejoicing over? Our names are written in heaven. There's no names of angels there. They're not written in the book of life. There's no names of devils there. They were never provided a redeemer. Our names, brethren, are in the book of life. Whose names? It's the listing of God's elect. Look at Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Verse 1, And at that time shall Michael stand up the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. This is the destruction of Jerusalem, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. So we come over to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, we're answering the question, whose names are in the book of life? We're looking for a simple answer to begin with. Matthew chapter 24, we see in, in Daniel chapter 12 that only those whose names are written in the book, are going to be delivered from the judgment that comes on that nation. And so we come to Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, and see how similar these words sound. And then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened the elect shall be saved. They're the ones written in the book. The book of life contains the list of all of God's elect, and their names are there. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 with me. Hebrews chapter 12. We are members of the church of Greenville. We know every one of our fellow members. We shall all come together tonight as a congregation and commune, in our common union around the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we're also members of another church, and that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ considered in its entirety, all the elect of God from the beginning of the world. And we read about that church in Hebrews chapter 12, where it says in verse 22, but ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels. "...to the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn." You are members of this local assembly, this particular assembly, but you're also members of the General Assembly. It says it's the Church of the Firstborn, the Lord Jesus Christ, which are written in heaven, and to God the Judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Notice, this church's membership role is written in heaven. It's the book of life. This is the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, all those that Jesus Christ has redeemed, it's the true Mount Zion, it's the heavenly Jerusalem, it's the city which is above. It's the church in the broadest sense, it's the general assembly of all God's elect. How were these names chosen? They were chosen by the pure will and mercy of God. Look at Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 and verse 15. What does he say there in Romans 9:15? I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Romans 9, 15. And that discussion there in Romans chapter 9 is the elect of God. It is the will of God. The names are in that book by His will. He chose by His will to have mercy on some. Turn over a few pages to Ephesians chapter 1. And we can see that great choice that God made, which this church has memorized recently, to be the choice of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is the one sitting on the throne with the book in his hand. But how do the names get in the book of life that is in his hand? Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, in heavenly places in Christ, according, here's how, as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. What a sentence that is full It is pregnant. It is stuffed full of the blessings of God, spiritual blessings. And it is according to the good purpose and pleasure of His will and to the praise of the glory of His grace that we have been made accepted in the Beloved, which is the Lamb of God, so that our names are in the Lamb's book of life. We were chosen there by His will and placed there. When were our names written in the book of life? Come back to Revelation chapter 13. And verse 8, Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, we gave it away in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, the verse that we've memorized, but we want to make sure we understand this book of life. There are many Baptist assemblies and other assemblies this day who will be giving invitations for people to come forward and get their names written in the book of life, which is a heresy. It is false doctrine. It is not true. It gives people false hope. It is baseless in the word of God. Ephesians chapter 13 and verse 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Whenever you read someone or hear someone say the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world is a person who didn't try hard enough in verses in Revelation 13, 8, to properly apply prepositional phrases. Jesus was not slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus was slain 4,000 years after the foundation of the world when He died on the cross of Calvary. That prepositional phrase, from the foundation of the world, is modifying the verb written. How do we know that, brethren? I just told you how we know it because Jesus wasn't slain from the foundation of the world. He was slain 4,000 years in time, 2,000 years ago. Amen. You say, is there any other way we can prove it? Yeah. Yeah. Turn over to Revelation 17 and verse 8. Revelation 17, 8. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder. This is Revelation 17, 8. I'm now in the middle of it whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Notice here we do not even have the words lamb or slain so that you can see that the prepositional phrase from the foundation of the world is modifying when they were written in the book. So when were the names written in the book of life? They were written in the book of life before from the foundation of the world because that is when God chose us in Christ Jesus in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. I hope you're all able to follow that. The prepositional phrase from the foundation of the world is not modifying when the lamb was slain because the lamb was not slain in the foundation of the world. It is modifying when the names were written in the book of life. And you can see that by going to 17.8. And therefore, we trust the word of God and let it interpret itself. The names were written there from the foundation of the world. There's a song written by a man named C. Austin Miles in 1905 called A New Name in Glory. There are no new names in glory. There's a new song in glory, but it was sung 2,000 years ago. But there's no new names. They sing this song, There's a New Name Written Down in Glory. And it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. And there'll be, there's congregations singing that song today. And while I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not ridiculing them, I am ridiculing the heresy of that song. There are no new names written down in glory. Those names have been written there from the foundation of the world because this world was created and men were created and Jesus Christ was ordained to fulfill an everlasting covenant for the praise and the glory of the grace of God. It is not something that is made up in time. It is from the foundation of the world. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 says, God that cannot lie promised eternal life before the world began. Where is that promise? It's in the book that was in the hand of Him that sitteth on the throne. It is the book of life because it is the promise of eternal life given before the world began. And brethren, what is the price of this book? It is the price of the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5, 9. What price do all those in heaven who behold this transaction of the Lamb coming and taking the book out of His hand in the throne, what price do they say was paid for it? Revelation 5, 9, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. On what basis was He worthy? For Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood. By Thy blood. The Lord Jesus came and shed his blood 2,000 years ago, which blood we will remember tonight in the ordinance that he ordained in order to put that everlasting covenant into force and in order to purchase that book so that he could open it and he would be worthy to come and stand before God and to open that book. Let me remind you, he by the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God and was received and his blood purchased that book. And he is the only one that can open it. Did you see that? No man in heaven nor in earth can open that book. Children, the Pope can open no book of value. The Pope cannot open the book of life. The Pope cannot touch the book of life. The Pope is not in the book of life. Amen. Do I know that? Amen. We just read it, Revelation 13, 8 and 17:8. 8. Right. Next, there is no apostle that can touch that book or open that book or put your name in that book. Paul couldn't put anyone's name in that book. He was just thankful that there were some names written there by God. And your pastor cannot put your name in the book of life. He cannot help get your name in the book of life at all. He's as dependent upon someone else to get his name in the book of life as you are. Your parents cannot help get your name in the book of life. There is only one being that can get your name in the book of life and can pay the price worthy of having your name there, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. No man in heaven or in earth or under the earth was able to take that book off God's hand except the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why the Bible says about our Lord Jesus Christ that he would say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life because it is his book. And he's the one that gives life. And that's why Peter would preach in Acts chapter 4 and say, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name given under heaven where, among men whereby we must be saved, but the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Brethren, no man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. Right. We are dependent upon the Lamb's book of life, and the Lamb who purchased that book and paid for the sins of all those written in it so that we might have the everlasting life that he promised before the world began. Tonight, we'll look further at the blessings in that book and how you can know that your name is written there and whether God can blot any names out of it. All right. Let me just tell you right now, not a chance. Amen. Not a chance, and we'll show it from the word of God. Amen. But brethren, I want you to rejoice that your names are written in heaven you a few pounds too heavy this morning, your names are written in heaven. Have a bad hair day, your names are written in heaven. You got a car that's not, op- that's not running perfectly, your names are written in heaven. Lose a job, your names are written in heaven. Got cancer, your names are written in heaven. Amen. If we ever laid hold of that, what would bother us? Jesus said, don't even rejoice in the fact that the devils are subject unto you in my name. Rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Amen. Amen.